Well, that's just no fair. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, that was great. I think we should just go home. That was amazing. Hard to follow that. My goodness. Hey, welcome, everybody. Uh, glad you're here today, both here and online. Welcome. Uh, as uh, we've been talking about, we are one week away from Christmas. And this is a beautiful time of year for us to be talking about what we're talking about, actually. Uh, in this Do One Thing series, December, as Pastor Marvin has kind of led us off, December is the month where we talk about something that I am particularly passionate about. And, and there's a reason why it dovetails with the idea of Christmas. You see, when we talk about Christmas, I like to say that this is actually the celebration of our sent Savior. See, when we couldn't reach out to God, God sent Jesus to us. When we were lost in our sin and our darkness, God sent Jesus, born in a manger, to be the coming king. And you know, you don't have Christmas, you don't have Easter, right? And so this is a great opportunity for us to be able to remember that when we talk about Jesus, we are talking about someone who understood that he was sent. For God so loved the world that he sent, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so December is the perfect month to talk about sentness. It is this idea of mission. And you know what? I, uh, I actually get very technical with people when people start talking about, oh yeah, the church. Yeah, we have missions. We don't have missions. There's no S. It's just mission. There's one mission. Jesus didn't come and say, yea, thus and verily, I am sending you forth to do missions. Nope. He gave us one mission. In fact, my friend Alan Hirsch says, it is not so much that the church has a mission in the world. It is that God's mission in the world has a church. There is a reason why we are here. There's a reason why we gather. There's a reason why we get to call one another family apart from the sentness, the mission of Jesus that carries forward into us as his children, as his followers. Apart from that, we don't even know each other. <clears throat> There's no reason for us to be sitting here together. As we understand the sentness of our Savior and our King, we understand that like Him, we are sent as well. And Pastor Marvin has been talking about that so far in the month of December. And here at Trinity, mission, not missions, mission is important to us too. We talk about it a lot. In fact, you might have heard us talk a little bit about the fact that here at Trinity, our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by awakening people to full life with Christ. That's what we do. It's why we are here. And if you were to ask us, yeah, but what does that even mean? What does that look like? We would tell you, that, hey, that we've got metrics for that. Like we've got very specific values that tell us whether we are doing that or not. And one of those values is actually to be active in our communities. And we would say that both locally and globally. Mission is baked into, it's hardwired into us here at Trinity Church. And you know what's interesting is if you were to say, yeah, but what does that even mean, being active in our communities? We would say, well, it means I and it means we. You see, here's the thing. I understand that as a follower of Jesus, I am part of a broader family that is part of the broader family. And that's amazing. But here's the deal. I embody 
the mission of Jesus in a way that the rest of us collectively do not. You know what? Part of my calling is independent of my membership at this church. I am called to reach about five to seven houses on Birch Road Drive in East Lansing. That's my job. I don't expect Trinity Church to reach my neighbors. That's my job. I expect Trinity Church to equip me to reach my neighbors, to pray for me, to walk alongside me. But my job is not to get my neighbors here so Pastor Marvin can reach them. That's my job. When my neighbors need help, they need somebody to, to dog sit their dog, or like whatever. When, when, when our neighbors need the kingdom of God to be present in their life, that's my job. But it's not just my job. See, I'm part of Trinity Church. And there are things that we can do collectively that are bigger, broader, and more impactful than what I can do on my own. It's like Katie was just talking about. When we collectively own the responsibility to be active in our communities, we can reach all the way across the world. We can help plant churches. We can drill wells. We can actually send pastors through Bible training. We can impact the homeless in our community. We can do all kinds of things beyond what I can do on my own when we collectively get together. So we understand at Trinity Church that the mission of Jesus has an I element and a we element, and both of them are important, especially because we are going to talk today about a passage that should be very familiar to most of us who follow Jesus. It's oftentimes labeled under the title of the Great Commission, and, and we'll read it in a minute. Like here at Trinity, we like to start with Scripture, right? Like we like to ground everything that we do in the Bible. But I do think sometimes that we like to kind of make something over-theoretical that is actually very practical. I, I, I don't say this to shame us, but I've heard a lot of times when Christians talk, it's like Jesus says, you know, go therefore into all the world and make disciples. And then we're kind of like, but really, what does go even mean? I mean, you know, the world, let's, we probably should, like, what does it mean in the Greek, really? You know, I mean, like, let's talk some, let's have some Bible studies about this idea of going. Uh, yeah, but did you actually go? No, 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 we're still studying. We're trying to understand. We're just trying to, like, digest this concept, right? I, I think it's a lot more practical and a lot simpler then maybe sometimes we like to admit, but we're going to talk about that today in a significant way. So if you've, if you've got your Bibles or if you'd like to look up on the screens, we're going to start on this concept of sentness and mission in a very specific place. You'll hear at times referred to, as I mentioned, as the Great Commission, not Great Commissions, Commission, and it goes something like this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, this is at the end of Jesus's life, and he is commissioning his disciples to carry forward the ministry that he did when he was here walking among us. And here's the thing. As Americans, when we read this in English, it looks pretty cut and dried to us, right? In fact, there are these words that we would call command words. I mean, pretty straightforward. We are supposed to go, make, baptize, observe, and teach. Those are command words. So you could probably boil the entire message down to just those command words. But you know what's interesting? If you actually look at the Greek, there's only one command word in the list. There's only one command. Every other one of those words is actually a participle. And if you remember from high school English, right? Right? 
A participle is a word that is formed from a verb. And so as a result, the better way, and in fact, some translations actually translate it this way, the better way to read this verse would actually be this. Therefore, as you are going, as you are going, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you, then command, make disciples of all nations. And remember that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The only command there is make disciples. Everything else is a participle that assumes a continuous action. It is a continuous action. As you are going, duh, because of course you're going to be going. As you are baptizing, of course, because you're going to be baptizing, observing and teaching, because of course you're going to do that. This is not like when you ask your kids to go and clean their room, right? Go clean your room. You did or you didn't. Mission accomplished or it wasn't. And when you finish it, you can go watch TV. Most of us don't say, as you are continually cleaning your room, (laughs) right? But that's actually what it is here. As you are going, continuous, no end point. You don't get to check a box that I went. Yep, he said go. I went. Two-week mission trip, boom, came home, I'm good. That's not what it means. It means as you are continually doing, going, baptizing, teaching, observing, then make disciples. You want to know what that looks like at Trinity Church right now? Right here. A couple weeks ago, we actually did baptisms up here. And a number of our students were not only baptized, but you want to know what else? Some of our students baptized other students. Like our our next gen ministry gets the concept of as you are going into your school, into your family, onto your athletics teams, as you are going, then you are baptizing and teaching. That's what it looks like. It's an assumed action. We move forward as we do it. That's what we do. There's a, it's called the great commission for a reason. If you are in Christ, you are affected by the Great Commission. Every one of us is. In fact, I'm going to just stipulate here, okay? I'm a little bit of an extremist when I talk about mission. I know that's hard to believe. I'm such a mild, like moderate, even-keeled personality most of the time. (laughs) Ask anyone who knows me, probably not shocking that I have kind of an extreme perspective on this. But when it comes to the idea of mission, I will tell you my angle. And that is simply this. You are sent by very nature of the fact that you are saved. So if you don't understand that you are sent, you don't understand that you are saved. I'm going to say that again. If you don't understand that you are sent, you don't understand that you are saved. And what I mean by that is, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying you don't know what it means. You are saved, as Rick Warren says, on purpose, for a purpose, with a purpose. There is a reason why you are saved, and it is not, it is not so that you can go to heaven when you die. That is not the purpose of your salvation. That's what happens as a result of your salvation. But the purpose of your salvation is to join Jesus on mission right here, right now, to redeem not only all of humanity, but all of creation. The mission of Jesus is to bring about the kingdom of God. It is to bring about the shalom 
or the piecing back together of everything the way that God intended it to be everywhere. If you are a member of the body of Jesus Christ, you are an agent of the kingdom of the living God wherever he has placed you, period. You are sent. You are commissioned. Salvation is an enlistment notice. It is a commissioning ceremony. My buddy and mentor, Fred Chasney, is a retired lieutenant colonel in the United States Marine Corps. And when Fred got his commission in that branch of the armed service, he didn't just go home, collect military benefits, get a job doing something else, and then wait around for him to have a military burial after he died. That's not what happened. When he accepted his commission, he was signaling to everyone else in the Corps and anyone else, right, friend or foe, that he was a leader within that branch of the military and that he had responsibilities and tasking for that purpose. That's what a commission was. It was actually the beginning of something, not the end of something. The only thing that it ended was his time in civilian life. The minute he received a commission is when he stepped out of civilian life into military life. The moment you give your life to Jesus, you are doing the same thing. When you are baptized, when you go under the water, what you are saying is just like Paul says, whatever was in my earthly civilian affairs, whatever was in my loyalties, my behaviors, my, 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 like my idols, all of that, that's all gone now. I am commissioned as an agent in the kingdom of the living God to do this, not that. Your commissioning is a beginning. Do you get to go to heaven when you die? Yes. Is that the purpose of your commission? No. The purpose of your commission is to be a living agent of the kingdom of the living God wherever he has placed you. And that might be your classroom. That might be your family. That might be your business. That might be the gym where you work out. That might be somewhere on the other side of the planet or right where you live. But make no mistake, brothers and sisters, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the great commission applies to you. It is your reason for being here. It was not an end, it was a beginning. You might think this all sounds good, like, okay, fine, yeah, cool, whatever, Jack, but um, why do I care again? I mean, really, like, why do I care? I mean, like, I'm here today, and like, I, I'm having trouble understanding why, like, why are you so heated up about this? Like, wh like why, why are you so fanatical about this? And the way that I'd like to talk about this is because I think sometimes that we don't understand either the gravity or the criticality of being about this now. There's a reason for that. And I want to just say, I'm going to give you a metaphor, and I'm not intending to scare you in any way, okay? I'm not a doomsday prophet or any of that kind of thing. I just want you to stick with me for a moment about why this matters. Not only us as individuals, but us as a church. There is a reason why the mission of Jesus matters. And it isn't just because we are commissioned. It isn't just because we are saved. It is also because it is about how we thrive and survive as followers of Jesus in the latter part of the 21st century. So I'm just going to ask you to hang with me for a second. The whole idea of sentness and mission matters to everyone in this room or listening online for a very practical reason that I oftentimes call dinosaur to wolf pack. And if you've heard this story before, you can just sort of go like, oh, he's doing that. Yeah, I'm doing that. And here's what it means. 
Many of us love dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are cool. I like dinosaurs. Anybody else like dinosaurs? There's a reason why we have Jurassic Park. We've got like, right? Like there's a reason why, however many years after, we're still studying them, right? Like we, we still dig up their bones. If you drove a car today, thank you to dinosaurs, right? Like we drive around on their fossil fuels, right? However, however many years later, whatever like that, we're still driving around. We still are thankful for dinosaurs. They're amazing, they just couldn't adapt very well at some point in the past, right? There's a reason why we don't have them anymore. I mean, unless you want to talk about like sharks and crocodiles, but the reality is, is as cool as dinosaurs were, they're not around anymore. And there are honestly a lot of parallels to a lot of modern churches to dinosaurs. I don't say any of this to shame us or being mean in any way. I actually like dinosaurs. I actually like being on staff at a local church where we can gather together, where we can worship, where we can do big things like we'll talk about in a second. This is not meant to critique. This is merely simply saying this is kind of where we are. In a lot of modern churches, just like Trinity Church, dinosaurs were big. We're big, guys. Like when I tell people about Trinity Church and I tell them about the hundreds of people who gather and are part of Trinity Church, it just blows people's minds. When we go to other countries and people talk about, um, like tell us about Trinity Church and I talk about the size of our facility, they just shake their heads. A lot of them meet in basements. Like, I mean, like this just blows the minds of a lot of our brothers and sisters and people around the world. We have big services. This is big. Look, look around, there's a lot of people here. There's people online that aren't even here. We are big. We have a big facility. This is huge. I mean, like we heat it, we light it, we use it all throughout the week. It's on acres and acres of land. We've got a disc golf course. That's big. It's amazing. We like to operate big programs. We have hundreds of people that are part of a number of things that we do. They're big. And just like dinosaurs, we need to eat a lot to survive. I read an article that a paleontologist speculated that a brachiosaur, which is one of those big, like long neck dinosaurs, probably had to eat somewhere between 400 and 900 pounds of swamp foliage a day just to keep its heart beating. That's a lot. For us here, it takes about $2.5 million a year just to keep the lights on and the staff paid and the heating bill. That's a lot. It's big. We have a big appetite. And you know what's interesting? Dinosaurs laid eggs. That's very similar in many ways to modern church planting techniques. And I'm not, again, I'm not being negative, but catch this, okay? So it'd be like a dinosaur lays an egg. It's like, hey, I gotta move on. Hope you're good. You hatched, you've got instincts, you've got everything that you need. Don't call us, we'll call you. If you ever catch up to us, that's great. But otherwise, good luck, right? You know what modern church planting methodologies are for a lot of churches? Hey, we're gonna drop a pastor with about 50 to 100 people a sound system, a rented building, and about 12 months worth of salary. Hope you make it. A lot like egg laying, actually. And we're not fast. Here at Trinity even, like we have intentional layers of leadership that are designed to help us to be able to make decisions, to be able to have good stewardship and to honor the things that we seek to do. But we're not fast at it. 
I don't know very many people in our culture who when something big changes, they say, what are the churches doing? We better watch them first, right? Most people are like churches. They're pretty traditional. If they figure it out at some point, that's great. They can catch up. But most people don't look to churches to innovate things. We're not known for being fast. And we're also not really known for being very adaptable. We have tradition, we like our traditions, we like to do things the same way because that's how people have done it for the last two millennia or whatever, right? We don't tend to adapt to new things super quickly or very well, but we are cool. This was cool, <laughs> right? I mean, like, not me necessarily, but like the other things, like, we're like, these are cool. This is cool. The stuff that we do is cool. When we step our foot into this community, the ground shakes. That's cool. I like that. But you know what else is interesting? I've noticed that um, I was hearing a realtor talk about this not too long ago, and they were talking about the epidemic of church buildings. And then I saw in a magazine, they were talking about realtors across the country don't know what to do with the empty church buildings that are showing up at a geometrically significant rate all across the country. Churches are closing. People are leaving them. They're, they're walking away from their faith. They're like, like, what do you do with all the buildings? Do you bulldoze them? That seems kind of sacrilegious. You turn them into bars? I don't think so. Housing complexes? Maybe. I mean, I, like literally, like it's a real estate thing. People don't know what to do with all the church buildings. Why? Because all the churches are closing. People flock to big churches like Trinity. That's cool. But like there's a point at which we would have to say, I think something's changing What's changing? Well, dinosaurs and contemporary churches in our culture have a lot in common. And we're starting to sense some change in the air. I think we can kind of tell that the spiritual temperature of our culture is dropping. And I actually call this the impending spiritual ice age. You can kind of see the graphic up here. You see, in our culture, the collective spiritual temperature is dropping Fast. There have been two critical articles that have been widely popularized in the last five to ten years. One is done by the Pew Research Center, which is a uh, faith and religion think tank that monitors things across trends all across the U.S. and around the world. And the second was an article about six months ago um, in an issue of Christianity Today. And the Pew Research article is actually called The Rise of the Nuns and the Duns. If you've heard of that article, the point, based on all of this data, was that the fastest growing group of people religiously in the United United States are what are called the nuns and the duns. Nuns is not like Roman Catholic monks that are women. It's not that. It's N-O-N-E-S, as in I have no religious affiliation, none. But you know, it might be spiritual or something. Oh, are you a Christ follower? No. Are you Buddhist? No. Are you Hindu? No. So you're just non-affiliated. You're a nun. And the duns are, yeah, I used to be, but I'm done with that now. You grew up Christian, but I walked away from that. I'm done with that. So you might have had a religious affiliation at one point, but you're done with that now. The nuns and the duns. Based on the Pew Research data, by 2032, it will be the largest group of religious, it will be the largest religion in the United States, even though it's none. And by 2052, it will be larger than all other religions combined. Meaning that nuns and duns will outnumber Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, pagans, whatever else. The temperature is dropping. And in Christianity Today, the editor said he'd like to add a category to that, and that is what he called the ums. 
The ums are people who would say that they are followers of Jesus, but they just don't connect to any kind of contemporary expression of worship. So if you were to say, oh, you're a Christian? Oh yeah, I totally am. Whoa, that's great. Where do you worship? Um, well, it's kind of complicated, like, you know... And that's increasing as well. If you add to that the idea that there is religious pluralism, paganism, the fact that the financial um, uh, impetus for organizations to survive on is getting thinner and thinner, it is harder and harder for local churches to be able to survive. In 1945, there were literally like two dozen not-for-profits in the country. Like if you wanted to give your money, you could give to the Salvation Army or Goodwill or the United Way or your local church. But now, everyone has a not-for-profit. Like, like, there's a, probably a not-for-profit for, like, single beagles, right? Like, we're going to find mates for single beagles. Like, I mean, someone's probably operating that. I mean, like, there's a not-for-profit for everything. And so with that, everybody's giving their money and their finances to all kinds of other things. So when local churches say, hey, yeah, but we still need to be able to function, it's kind of like, man, I'd really like to, but the, the beagles and then the... the the single penguins and like the, you know, I mean like whatever, like, the, like it's just becoming, it's, it's becoming gaspy for local churches. In addition to that, we do have an increase in paganism. I would have never thought I would have seen that, but we do. Like we literally have people who worship Thor um, or other things, right? And we are starting to experience the beginnings of persecution. I have friends who have lost their jobs because they have failed or refused to go along with certain social agendas in their workplace. Right? So the temperature is dropping. The world is becoming more and more inhospitable. Dinosaurs struggle. And I honestly think a lot of contemporary expressions of local church will too, if we're not already. But don't worry. There are things that are well-suited to survive in those climates. They don't look anything like dinosaurs, actually. But they do actually do quite well in the cold and the dark. So let's talk a little bit about wolves, for example. Wolves do quite well in climates that dinosaurs can't function in. But you know what's interesting about wolves? They are smarter. They are smaller. They are hungrier than dinosaurs. They are communal. They operate in both coordinated packs and also in individuals. They can operate together to take down a moose, or they can operate by themselves in a specific area of land. As you can probably guess, I think that's probably what we as followers of Jesus, and even as local churches, will probably start to look more and more like as the spiritual ice age takes hold in our country and in our world. Like wolves, we'll probably get smaller we may meet less often in big spaces like this. We may really focus more on more intimate spaces where places like coffee shops or basements or living rooms. And that's actually not new for us as Christians, by the way. If you read the book of Acts or if you read church history books about the first couple hundred years of what it looked like to be a Christ follower, people met in sewers because they were highly persecuted in the Roman Empire right? We don't need, I mean, like, this is an amazing, beautiful blessing. But our brothers and sisters around the world and throughout history have learned to adapt in other environments and other forms beyond. You see, in the book of Acts, it says that the church grew house to house 
or household to household. It didn't say church building to church building. Beyond that, like wolves, we'll have to get hungrier too. We will have to focus more on evangelism and missional fervor. We will be going into the places that are dark and cold, and we will be the presence of warmth and light when we are there to say, come on, you don't have to freeze to death. Come back with me. We will need to get more missional, more evangelistic, and probably in spaces that we're currently not used to going or engaging. We'll have to become more financially efficient. We might actually end up with multiple streams of revenue rather than just one. We might have businesses that we own. We might do all kinds of things like that to try to create a self-sustaining mechanism so that there is freedom to be able to impact neighborhoods and networks and needs because it might come to a point where you might say, man, you know what, Jack? I got all these things that I'm doing in my neighborhood. Like we're doing this. We fixed the brakes of the single mom that lived down the street. We threw a block party. We're investing in this over here with my neighbor. We're taking care of her, her little girl because she can't anymore. And then like, we're, we're doing all of this. It'd be like, that's great. We need to be able to be diversified in the ways that we can actually recruit funding to be able to make sure we can keep doing things like this. I think that wolves are more inherently hospitable They raise and they tend and they nurture their young in den environments until those young can go and take care of themselves and then build other packs in other territories on their own. That's disciple-making. We will probably have to say, we're so glad that you met Jesus. We will walk with you and we will nurture you and care for you and tend to you. And then when you are ready, we will release you. And then you can always come back home. But your territory is gonna be two streets over. Your territory is going to be over here, like whatever that might look like. And we're probably going to have to be smarter. One of the things about wolves that I really love is if one wolf howls, others show up. It's one of the reasons why wolves are scary, actually. Um, That about 2008, I was in Romania. Um, I was up on a mountain. I was like, I'm going to go have my quiet time out in the woods. So I like, you know, took my Bible and I went up there and I'm like, got all set up and everything like that. I'm sitting on this log. I'm about a quarter of a mile away from the nearest form of human civilization or whatever. And I get all set up and I'm like, Father, thank you. This is so cool. And then I just hear... I was like, it's time to go. So I got up and went back. You know why? Because when a wolf howls, there's probably not just one wolf, right? It's one of the reasons why they can be scary sometimes. So can you imagine what it would be like if it was like, man, I'm in over my head doing this block party for this neighborhood and you howl and 10 other, 10 other Christians show up to help. You howl, others show up. We will have to get smarter. And the truth is, is that survivable versions of local churches toward the end of the 21st century, I think, will probably look a lot more like wolves than dinosaurs. And here at Trinity, we are already experimenting with ways to do that. I don't actually think it's going to be like a light switch. I don't think Pastor Marvin's going to come in one day and say, okay, this is the last time we're going to do dinosaur gatherings. As of next Sunday, everything is in your living rooms and your neighborhoods on your market said go. It's not going to be like that. It'll be something that we try gradually, but here's the thing. We're trying it now. We are doing things now. We're doing things, both staff-led things, and also things that we do that are not even a part of being staff at all. So like, for example, I'm the lead organizational pastor here. That's my job. But what I'm doing at home in a very wolf-like sort of a way has nothing to do with my job here. And yet, there are things that we do as a function of some of our ministries that will start to look more wolf pack. I'm actually gonna show you what that looks like in a few minutes. But what you want to know, and what I need you to notice is, is that no matter what, we just don't wanna look like this. Up here on the screen, you'll see this far side. We don't want to look like the dinosaurs that, yeah. We don't want to look like the dinosaurs that are laughing at the woolly little things scrabbling under their feet while the snow starts to fall, right? 
We don't, we don't want to be the dinosaurs that are like, ha, 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 ooh. Wait, why is it so cold here all of a sudden? We want to be able to do both. We want to be able to say, you know what? We love our current dinosaurness. We really do. And we want to leverage it as long as we can. We want to still be able to say, hey, when something happens in our community and we put our foot down, the ground shakes. We want people to be able to say, you know what? If you don't know where to go, you can go to Trinity. Just look over the treetops. You'll see this big neck. Like, like, like go over there. They can help you. We, we want that. We love this building. It is an incredible blessing from the living God. We love having a disc golf course. Like the things that we do programmatically, we love that. I love being on staff at a church where we can offer those things. But we also think that it will be necessary to grow fur and fangs. To start experimenting now with smaller, hungrier, leaner, more warmer-blooded, decentralized methods of what it looks like to be the people of God so that when the snow really starts to fall, we're not shocked by it and we're ready for it. By the way, it's just as important that we recognize that Jesus is not surprised by any of this. Modes and methods of church change throughout the years and throughout the ages. The church looks different when it's under intense persecution than it does here in the United States right now. It looks different in China right now than it looks here. It looks different in India right now than it looks here. That's okay. It's fine for the church to change form. You know what doesn't change? The command to go and make disciples. That doesn't ever change. The method can change. The form can change. The message does not and the, the core command does not. As you are going, baptizing, teaching, and observing, make disciples. That doesn't change. Okay, cool. So that's a little freaky. How do you wolf pack then, Jack? I mean, okay, fine. Thanks for freaking me out a little bit, but what do you even do with that? So what I'd like to do right now is, is I'd like to tell you this is just one way that you could go about owning the responsibility to say, okay, I'm gonna grow some fur and some fangs. This is just one way. This is not a, you have to go and do this. This is just what it can look like. And this is kind of what it looks like for us as we're experimenting in different ways here at Trinity Church. And we're gonna use wolf language, okay? So, so you can kind of see how the metaphor kind of fleshes out. So the first thing would be, hey, every wolf recognizes that it has a territory. A territory is a range of its effective responsibility. For me, that's five to seven houses on Birch Road Drive. For you, that might be single moms. For you, that might be your workplace. It might be your football team. It might, like, it's a place where God has called you to be the resident kingdom agent in that environment, where you own the responsibility to say, this is my territory. These people are my people. This is where I will be the kingdom wolf. I will patrol, I will pray, I will be present. Like this, this is mine. This is my territory. It might be a network, it might be a neighborhood, it might be a particular need, but it is wherever you say, I own the responsibility to be the agent of the kingdom of God here. Every wolf has one. Every kingdom agent, every kingdom wolf has a territory. And within that territory, Every kingdom wolf has an opportunity to offer what we call watering holes. Now, if you've read Rudyard Kipling's Jungle Book, or if you've seen any of the movies or some of those kinds of things, there is this idea in Kipling called a watering hole truce. 
The idea is, is that, hey, every organism in the jungle needs water to survive. So if something is at the watering hole, you can't attack it, right? The tiger and the wolf should be able to drink water at the same time at the watering hole. Anything that attacks something at a watering hole is considered the lowest of the most dishonorable things. So again, not that we're attacking anything in a, in a territory, but a watering hole opportunity is an opportunity to say, hey, we just want to learn who you are. It might be a block party. You might say something like, hey, we're just doing a barbecue. I have friends who do barbecues in their front yard rather than their backyard just so that they can give people who walk by on the sidewalk a hamburger. Hey, you want a hot dog? Cool. Come on over here. I'd like to meet, love to meet you. Like it's just a high invitation, low commitment, easy opportunity to be able to learn the people in your territory. Low risk. Hey, I just want to know who you are. What are the various species of organisms in my territory? Who are you? Do I know your name? Can I pray for you by name when I actually pray for you? Like, I mean, like, it's just a way of being able to learn and to invite, to establish the basics of hospitality and to be able to learn the people in your territory. And then from that watering hole, you find people that you can invite to the next layer down, which is what we would call the pack. A pack forms when people within a territory who have responded to the watering hole opportunity draw closer and begin to build relationships with the kingdom wolves that are there. It's when you invite them to dinner. It's when you babysit their kids so that they can have a date night or hang out with them on a regular basis. It probably becomes more rhythmic. This is the kind of thing where you might do a watering hole thing every other month or something like that. Uh, For example, um, if you looked at a calendar, about every other month, there is something that you could do that is easy. Super Bowl party, Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, 4th of July. I mean, there's something, right? It doesn't have to be a giant thing. It could just be like, hey, Super Bowl party at our place. High invitation, low risk, right? But a pack thing would be more like, hey, we're, we're actually noting that you've shown up here. Could we do something that's a little bit more? Like, could we, could we invite you? Could we invite you to do something that's a step closer? Do you want to come to dinner? I'm inviting you into the, to the, like, I'm inviting you into the more intimate areas and the intimate spaces of my life. Yeah, we'd love to watch your kid. We'd love to take care of your dog. Hey, you're leaving. You're going to be traveling for a week. You want me to mow your lawn? Like, it's just, a, it's just a little bit closer, right? Oh, man, you're a single mom. Your brakes went out. You know what? I could introduce you to my friends. We have this ministry at our church. We'd love to be able, we'd love to, be able to help. Can, we, can I just do it myself? Like, you know what? You should meet my mechanic. Like, I mean, like, that, that's a pack kind of an activity, Beneath the pack, you'll see a den. A den is a much more intimate environment where people from a pack are deliberately taking steps to follow Jesus. This might literally look like a close-in discovery Bible study. This is when you are getting an opportunity to pray with them and for them, to be able to understand what's going on in their lives and walk together super closely with them. This is the point where you know you text each other consistently throughout the week. You are praying for and with each other. You're meeting each other for lunch. You're doing things beyond the scope of a, oh yeah, that thing we did that one time, I'll be over, you call me, I'll call you. Like, it's like, no, 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 we, like, we're, we're, doing, we're doing life with each other. That's a more intimate, invited environment. And then beneath that is what we would call counsel. Council environments are actually for the leaders, believe it or not. It's for the wolves. Because um, leading a pack environment like this can get really exhausting, and it's really easy to start feeling alone. So the council is, yeah, but who's building into you? Who's praying for you? Who's walking with you? When you howl, who shows up? Right? So, like, so how does that actually make sure that you're not alone as a kingdom wolf? Who comes alongside you? 
And, and like, how are you being invested in, in a way that is recharging you so that when you go back into the territory, you're gassed up for it? That's the council. It could be a small group. It could be a group of people or friends that are doing the same thing here at Trinity. We'll talk more about that, but basically that's what a council is. And again, this is just one example of a structure that is relatively achievable. And I wanna just say, it's possible that you're here and you're like, like, well, sure, Jack, you do that because you're a pastor. I'd be like, hey, friends, most of my friends that are here at Trinity that are doing this in their neighborhoods, networks, or needs, they're not. They're, They're people like all the rest of us. They're not in professional ministry. They are not tasked to do this as a function of their job or anything like that. They're just being kingdom wolves. They're just out there saying, hey, we'll go build territories so that when we finally get to the place where this is what it needs to look like, we've already, we've already done the work ahead of time. You can come join us or we can teach you how to do this in your own territory. Now, I'd like to shift gears for a moment and I'd like to talk a little bit about some practical ways that this looks like right here at Trinity Church. And I wanna introduce you to a buddy of mine. Many of you guys might know him. This is Emmanuel Boateng. Uh, we are super privileged. Uh, to have Emmanuel. Emmanuel's on our staff team as our director for our Abide ministry. And if you don't know what Abide is, Abide is our college age ministry. Um, And so Emmanuel um, operates Abide and he does it using this model. Now, what I want you to see is, is this is a, this is a legit Trinity Church ministry that is using Wolfpack model as a function of paid staff ministry. Now, Emmanuel does this way beyond his job, and he does it in other environments as well. But I want you to see, like, as a church, we are doing certain things structured this way. And then I want to tell you about, okay, this is my territory, and I don't do this as a function of my job at Trinity Church. So we're going to, like, balance back and forth. And what I want you to see is, this is what Wolfpack looks like when it's structured as a ministry of Trinity Church. This is what it looks like when you're just doing it as a person who loves Jesus, as a part of being part of Trinity Church. Does that make sense? So the first thing I want to ask, so Emmanuel, first of all, thank you again. Really appreciate this. This is fun. This is great. Pre-COVID, Emmanuel and Anna, his wife, and Sammy and I, and a few other people, we were like, we we tried to build this and experiment with it. And then COVID hit, boom. It's like, well, man. But, But Emmanuel has continued to do this beyond. So could you tell us a little bit, like, what does your territory look like for Abide? So for Abide, our territory comprises of young individuals ages 18 all the way to 23. And that is our territory. Uh, currently, if you wanted a location, I would say college campuses. So we have MSU, LCC, and not only that, even those who are not in college. So there is the workforce. But the age group being the most important thing, 18 all the way to 23. Yeah, so if I graduated from high school and went to work at GM, I'm still included in Correct. 18 to 23. Right but the primary target would be like, but we spend most of our time at MSU. Is that right? Right, right on. Cool. So my territory would be, I live on Birch Road Drive. It's one street north of Lake Lansing. It's kind of over by Tower Park, if you kind of know where that is in East Lansing. We have about five to seven houses on a really busy street. And I would say, these are the people, and man, they are mine. Like, when I say mine, I mean, like, we love them. We know their names. We pray for them. Like, we, we love these people. We are seeking to be the presence of the risen king because we love them. And we own the responsibility to say we will be the presence of the risen king in the lives of these people because they matter to us and they matter to God. So my territory is five to seven houses on Birch Road Drive. Um, can you tell us a little bit about an example of watering hole kinds of events? So watering hole that, can, that comes to mind uh, was a few weeks ago, uh, one of our small group invited all the people they knew uh, to go to the Lansing Zoo Light, oh. which is happening now. Low, high invitation. Is that at Potter Park Zoo? 
Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. okay. So they went there, uh, and I was just inviting whoever you know, whoever wants to see the lights. Christmas, Christmas, Christmas is closed, and so come join us, watch, watch some lights. Yeah, and like, you guys do tailgate things uh, for... We did uh, Labor Day cookouts. Yeah. Uh, we've been doing that in the past. So right after students come in, we invite them to just come in. Yeah, just come and experiment something that is not necessarily spiritual, but uh, to disconnect. Yeah, it's relational, for sure. Yeah, so uh, we've, we've been a little bit off rhythm for this, but we've done a block party. So it's like, hey, we've got a park right behind our house. So I howled, and people like Brian Tyson showed up with his flat-top hibachi grill and made street tacos. We got, like, Waritos, um, like, carbonated, you know, sodas, and we had friends that showed up, and we just got to meet our neighbors that are around um, kind of our territory. And in fact, um, a couple of people that we met through that experience, we've continued to be able to have relationships with, we've walked with, we've prayed with. I mean, like, that was a good opportunity for us to say, hey, that expanded our ability to know what other kinds of people are in our territory. And that, that was not that hard to pull off. In fact, uh, we have a small group. Um, members of our small group brought cornhole games and other stuff that we don't have, um, and they helped us to be able to pull it all off, and that was really great. Um, could you talk a little bit about what does a pack kind of an idea look like? So a pack looked like uh, on Monday night, right across from MSU again on Grand River. We meet every Monday night from 7.30 to 9 p.m. Uh, when school is in session uh, at the House of Prayer, right next to Five Guys. So that would be our monthly or more recurring uh, pack event. Yeah, and could you talk a little bit? This is collaborative, by the yeah, way. Yeah, this is with the House of Prayer. Yeah, so like, it's totally cool if you would notice, like, this is not just Trinity Church. This is Trinity Church, House of Prayer, and then there are a couple of other churches that all get together to be able to offer a much more intensive spiritual experience for people that want to take a step beyond the watering hole. And so they meet at House of Prayer. It's on campus. It's visible. It's super easy to see. And so that is for people who would say, that was fun. I'd take another step in, right? That's great. Um, for me in my territory, the way that that looks like as a pack event would be on Sunday nights. Um, we invite the men um, and sometimes some of the women uh, in our little territory to come to, when it's warm, my back deck. Uh, when it's cold, we go down to my basement and we just chill. We hang out. We talk. Uh, we talk about what's going on in each other's lives. We talk about everything. Um, and so that's a weekly kind of a deal it's from 7 o'clock to about 930. Um, and so we just invite and consistently we have anywhere from three to six or seven people show up. And that's one of our pack environments. It's just, it's a lot more intimate. It's down at, it's at our house. Um, and it's just a little bit more, um, yeah, close in in that kind of a feel. Um, could you tell me a little bit about what does um, a den environment look like for a so bike? So den, more intimate. So we have small groups, uh, four of them currently. Uh, that is between three and eight people. And there they take a more discovery, uh, discovery Bible study approach. And they get to it. So they get to know each other. Very vulnerable space. Uh, people are, yeah, it just intimidatingly vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, but they get to know each other. <laughs> intimidatingly vulnerable. I love that. Yeah. So they get to really, really know each other and, and be there for one another and pray for one another. And there's mm -hmm. a, a family-like feeling in that space. And that would be our dance. Yeah. Uh, for uh, full disclosure, we don't, I, I don't have a den environment yet. Um, you don't just flip a light switch and then boom, have all of these layers present, right? Like it's like you build them as you invite them. And so for us, I would say, yeah, I don't know that anybody in our territory, we're really not at that space yet where we would be able to take a step into den, but we're getting there. We're getting closer to that um, and toward the ability of being able to have that level of traction and relationship. And by the way, like that's okay. Um, I have a buddy who would say, man, you know what? Everybody that I'm seeking to be with and for in my territory, they're all non-Christ followers, like, there's no way any of them are going to jump straight to a den environment yet. 
Be like, that's okay. You develop it as you go. As they take steps toward Jesus, you meet needs by demonstrating the love of Christ, right? You, you're not afraid to proclaim, but you walk with them without, high, it's, it's not high pressure in any way. Like you are being the kingdom of the living God present with them where they are. And then you develop the layers as you go. Does that make sense? What about council? So council uh, is our student leaders, uh, myself, Joshua, and a leader from the House of Prayer. And we just encourage one another. We, we remind each other, including myself, that we are not alone. Yeah. Uh, and that even though we desire for others to experience Jesus, like really experience Jesus for themselves, we also uh, want to be reminded of that constantly, even as we walk alongside them. So we meet uh, bi-weekly uh, the small, with, with, with the small, small group leaders. And we just remind each other, encourage, walk alongside, support, uh, pray for, pray for, pray for a lot yeah. <laughs> for one another because we need that. Yeah. Uh, and so that is our council uh, comprised of the leaders. That's of great. The small groups. So um, Sammy, my wife and I, we have uh, the privilege of being part of a small group that's led by Jim and Tina Grant. And uh, a couple of years ago, we made the transition towards saying, hey, every member of our small group is, should be reaching into a territory. So when we get together as a small group two or three times a month, that's what we do. Hey, what's going on? Hey, what's going on? Hey, how can we be praying for? And we have a list. This is how we are praying for and with one another as we are seeking to build territories as kingdom wolves. So our counsel would be, we come back, we have a meal together, and then we walk through. Like, hey, well, okay, so what's going on with, okay, but how did you, and then what about your friend? And then, then we have a chance to be able to pray with each other, to be able to remind each other that we're not alone. And if one of, ours, and one of, our, if one of our small group members howls, the rest of us show up. Right? So that, that's kind of the way that our council environment sort of works in, in, in my world. Now, again, those aren't the only models, but hopefully you kind of get the idea of seeing what it looks like. Abide operates within this structure. It's not rigid. It's not like Emmanuel says, and now we will have a council moment. It's not. It would just be like, no, we do understand, though, that if we don't have something like that, our leaders can burn out. Or they can actually be picked off because they get isolated, and we don't want that. Right? In a decentralized environment, the strength is I have the ability to contextualize what ministry should look like on Birch Road Drive, but I'm not doing it alone. I still have the coverage of other people that are willing to show up if I howl. All right? Thank you, Emmanuel. Appreciate you. Love you. Now, I realize we've covered a lot here today, guys. And the, again, the attempt was really to try to make things very practical as we understand both individually and collectively that we are a sent people. And if you're like, okay, but what do I even do to get started? Let me just kind of remind you. There are a couple of things that would be easy points of engagement as a next step. The first thing would be to just prayer walk your territory, whatever that might be. If, if you're like, my territory is my neighborhood, it'd be like, prayer walk your neighborhood. How many of the people in your neighborhood do you know their names? If you don't know their names, that's a great place to start. Father, would you give me opportunities to learn these people's names? Like, would you, like, ask the Father, and this is one of my favorite things to do, Abba, how are you speaking and acting right here in my territory right now, and how can I join you? What are you asking me to do? What does it look like? You can start by prayer walking your territory. The next, you could offer a watering hole event. Again, it doesn't have to be something on the scale of what we're doing here. That you could just do a barbecue in your front yard. You can do a Super Bowl party. Like you could, you could if, if, you have a, um, if you have a student who's graduating, invite your neighbors to their open house. Like, the, like it doesn't have to be something that is this massive expenditure of time, energy, and resources. Like it could be something fairly, um, fairly consistent with things that you're already doing anyway. 
Another thing is you can invite a neighbor for, over for dinner. And if you're like, Jack, I've lived next to my neighbors for 10 years. I don't even know their names. You're like, that's okay. You can actually admit that. I have a buddy who's an elder, and you know what's really been fun has been watching him invest in a neighbor and to watch that neighbor respond. Now, that neighbor actually would say, yeah, I need this. Like, I, I, need, I need this opportunity to be able to draw close. Like, it's, it's amazing to kind of watch and see what the Spirit of God will do if you will take the initiative to invite. You can invite a neighbor over for dinner. Next, you can read a book. If you talk to Jan or Carolyn or Katie, out in our resource center, we actually have a number of books that would tell you about, this is the idea of mission. This is what it looks like when it's done well. This is what it looks like when it's done poorly. Here would be some recommended steps. Another thing is in January, we will be talking about what we call our Mission Possible Disciple Making Journey Pipelines. I know that's a mouthful. We call it MPDJ. But here's the thing. There will be three different pipelines next year that you could join in. They are six-month-long journeys where we will walk with you, where we will bundle you with other people, where we will help you to understand what this looks like, and you will get to experience it in context, both locally and globally. So we'll be like, hey, this Sunday, we're going to go and join Essential Blessings to minister to the homeless in downtown Lansing. And then by the way, at the end of it, we are going to Kenya. You're going to come along. So like, we'll do three different pipelines starting next year. We'll be talking about that in January. You could jump on one of those pipelines. Another thing that you could do is, is you could ask us how to connect with the things that we're doing locally and globally. You can drop an email to globaloutreach at wearetrinity.com. We would love to respond to you. We could just tell you like, hey, we're doing this thing at Gardner. Hey, we're doing this thing with essential blessings. Hey, we're doing that. Like, hey, don't forget, we're doing, like, we would love to plug you in. We would be happy to help you to do so. And last, as Katie mentioned, you could give financially to our Kingdom Advancement Grant process. Every year, starting in February, awards are, um, are awarded in March and April. We have the opportunity to reach beyond ourselves as a we, to walk alongside our global partners all over the world to do things that they would not be able to do on their own very easily. Now, we try really hard to do it in a way that is honoring. We don't just make it all about the finances, but we do have a chance to walk and partner with what the Spirit of God is doing around the world, not just right here where we are. And you could give financially to that. And those are just a couple of ideas. But as we finish, what I'd like to be able to do is I'd like to spend a couple of moments praying together and to pray over you um, about what the Spirit of God would do to identify your territory and what is one thing this week that the Spirit of God would ask you to do to take a step into it. Now, as we do that, I'm actually going to go ahead and ask our prayer team members, our elders, and our deacons to go ahead and come down, and then we'll dismiss after I, after I finish. But, if, but if, if, if I could, could I ask, if you are able, would you be willing to stand as we have a chance to re-own the commission that our Heavenly Father gives us as people of the living God? Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus, our sent Savior, the Holy One. Yeah. And we thank you, Father, that when we could not come to you, you sent Jesus to us. And we recognize that because of his sentness, Father, we are a sent people as well. That as we are going, as we are teaching and baptizing, observing. Father, we will be making disciples. And for every one of my brothers and my sisters that are here today, Father, as we enter this week of rejoicing and remembering again the beauty of our sent Savior, 
Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that right here and right now, Father, would you give each of my brothers and sisters a sense of the territory to which you have called them? Father, where have you asked them to be present as a kingdom wolf right where they are? I pray, Father, that you would bring to their mind faces or houses or opportunities that outline that territory, that confirm and affirm to them what you are calling them to do. Father, would you give us one thing this week in the midst of Advent, in the midst of Christmas, in the midst of all the things that we have going on, all of the things that are crowding our attention, like Ben said, Father, what is one thing you would ask us to do this week to take a step into the territory that you've called us into? Father, would you give us the courage to obey you, to trust you for the results, to be willing to step forward in faith, and to remember, Father, that We become like your son when we own and understand our own sentness in the process. I pray your blessing on my brothers and my sisters, Father. When they howl, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would bring others to show up. And Father, I pray that you would let them see the beauty of what you are doing in them and through them as they take steps into joining you on your mission in the world. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, brothers and sisters.